to honestly earn, save, and give is wise and good, to hoard and spend only on ourselves not only is unwise, but it's sinful. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom's current series is titled The Deadly Dangers of Materialism. He has part two for you on today's broadcast. Today in Matthew chapter 6, Tom continues teaching from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Last time we looked at the first of three deadly dangers of materialism, being consumed by materialism. As Tom continues to look at this deadly danger, you'll learn just how toxic the love of material possessions can be to your spiritual health. You'll be confronted with the reality of your own heart. The question remains, how much money is enough money? Would you finally be generous if you had just a little bit more? What will it take for you to support kingdom work? Open your Bible now and let's find out more on The Word Unleashed. They taught what theologians call retribution theology. The Pharisees taught that one's material prosperity in this world was an immediate and perfect reflection of how pleased God was or was not with you. So if God was pleased with you, then he prospered you. And the more he prospered you, the greater your wealth, the more pleased he was with you. If God was not pleased with you, then you were not going to enjoy his maximum material blessings in this life. So according to the Pharisees, you can look at someone's life and immediately determine how truly righteous they were before God based on the level of their assets. That, by the way, is why Jesus told the story in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus. He wanted to show them that exactly the opposite could be true. A poor beggar having his sores licked by the dogs might, in fact, be truly redeemed and end up in heaven. And a man who was luxuriously wealthy might lift up his eyes in hell. That was completely contrary to the paradigm which the Pharisees believed and taught. So the disciples, certainly before they were discipled by Jesus, had been impacted by the Pharisees' bad ideas about personal wealth. But that wasn't the only influence that they had. The disciples also learned a wrong mindset about wealth from unbelieving pagans. Look down in chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus, as he's bringing this issue of materialism and his teaching about it to a close, says, the Gentiles, the pagans, eagerly seek all these things. And the the Greek word translated eagerly seek means to be seriously interested in, to have a strong desire for. Just as it happens with us, Jesus' disciples saw the materialism in the culture around them, and they were influenced by it. So they learned it from the Pharisees, the false teachers of their time, just as the false teachers of our time propound it. But in addition, they learned it from the pagans around them. 
In reality, however, none of us, including the disciples, has to be taught to be greedy, either by false teachers or by pagans. It just comes naturally as part of the original sin package that we inherited from Adam through our parents. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, verse 29, Paul says that all unbelievers are filled with greed. Now, with that background, let's look again at Jesus' prohibition in response to all of the bad teaching and the the wrong influences to which the disciples had been exposed. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, before we look at what Jesus means, as we often do, let's make sure that we understand what he did not mean. Jesus did not mean that it is wrong for one of his disciples to be wealthy. Jesus is not saying that poverty is a virtue like some of the modern Christian ascetics like Shane Claiborne and others who who say that we just need to renounce all wealth and give away everything we have and live you know like a like a hermit or a monk. A cursory glance through Scripture shows that many of those who were righteous were also wealthy. For example, Scripture, if I, if I had time, I would take you to each text, but Scripture specifically refers to the wealth of Abraham and Lot and Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Boaz, David, Job, and King Hezekiah, along with many others. Not all of the followers of the true followers of God were wealthy. Many of them were not. Many were poor. And the Psalms talk about how the the unrighteous take advantage of the poor believers. But many who were righteous were also wealthy in God's providence. When you come to the New Testament, there were wealthy women who were supporting Jesus and his disciples. There were wealthy disciples like Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, and others. One of our Lord's favorite retreats was with his wealthy friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Only once in his ministry did Jesus tell someone, I should say, to sell everything that they owned and followed him, and that was the rich young ruler. And the reason for that was obvious, because Jesus knew that The belongings this man had, the property that he owned, was the idol of his heart and what would prevent him from truly repenting and truly following Jesus. And so Jesus says, I want you to go as a test of your willingness to follow me. I want you to go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And of course, he left sad because he owned much property, the text says. That's the only time. Even when it came to Zacchaeus, who was filthy rich, and I mean that both ways, because much of his wealth had been extorted from people from whom he was supposed to collect a fair tax. Even Zacchaeus, when he became a true follower of Jesus, gave away 50% of that great wealth. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he didn't tell him to command the wealthy people there in Ephesus, and there were a number, to get rid of their wealth. Instead, he urged them to use it in the right way. So it's not wrong. It's not sinful to be wealthy. Secondly, it's not sinful or wrong to work hard 
to excel in our business and to provide for our own family. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Again and again, both Old and New Testament, we are told that we should, whatever our hand finds to do, we should do it with all of our might. Proverbs, verse 23 of chapter 14 says, In all labor or work there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Work hard and there will be benefit to it. Proverbs 24 Verses 3 and 4, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Proverbs 28, verse 19, he who tills his land will have plenty of food. The one who works hard at what he's been called by God to do, he will be able to provide for the needs of his family. But he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, If someone doesn't work, work hard at what he's supposed to do, then he shouldn't eat. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, If anybody doesn't work in such a way as to provide for his own family, not only his immediate family, but in context, the widows that he has obligation for, his, his mother and grandmother. He has denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. So our Lord is not saying those things are wrong. It's not wrong to be wealthy. It's not wrong to work in order to excel in your business and to provide for your family. Thirdly, it is not sinful to save for the future. Again, Scripture in both Testaments makes it clear that this is the way of the wise, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. The ant is wise enough to see that a time of leanness is coming and to save and prepare for that lean time. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, Children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents are responsible to save up for their children. So there's nothing wrong with saving for the future. Fourthly, Jesus is not saying that it is sinful to use some of our resources for our own enjoyment. Again, he's not teaching asceticism. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18, as he talks about life in a fallen world and how we're to respond to it, he says this, Here is what I've seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward." It's the reward of God to enjoy the fruit of your labor. The New Testament makes the same point in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world to fix their hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He's talking to wealthy people. Paul says, tell the wealthy people in your church to fix their hope on God who has given them those things to enjoy. 
So our Lord is not saying that it's sinful or wrong to use some of our resources, some being the chief word, for our own enjoyment. D.A. Carson, summing all of this up, puts it this way. Jesus is not condemning all wealth in this passage any more than he is condemning all clothes. He is not prohibiting things, but the love of things. Not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Jesus forbids us from making mere things our treasure, storing up things as if they had ultimate importance. That's the issue. Storing up things as if they had ultimate importance. So if that's not what Jesus meant, those things that I've just covered, what exactly did he mean? Well, Jesus in this text, in verse 19, means by saying, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He means, first of all, that it is sinful to selfishly hoard the wealth God has given us. It is sinful to selfishly hoard the wealth God has given us. Look at verse 19 again. That Greek verb that's translated, do not store up, has the idea in it of stacking one thing upon another or accumulating things. You see, one of the great dangers that come with wealth is the temptation to hoard it, to continue to accumulate it long after we have more than enough rather than using it for kingdom purposes. In fact, Job in Job 27 verse 16 describes the wicked as one who piles up silver like dust and prepares garments as plentiful as the clay. They just keep on accumulating and accumulating when it's far beyond their needs. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. They just have to keep accumulating, and it's never, ever enough. Our world is filled with tragic examples of that reality. I think one of the worst that I have ever heard of is the story of Bertha Adams. It was on Easter Sunday, 1976, that 71-year-old Bertha Adams died alone in her home in West Beach, Florida. The coroner's report said the cause of Bertha's death was malnutrition. When she died, she only weighed 50 pounds. Bertha had gotten all of her clothing from the Salvation Army, and she had begged even her neighbors for food. But when they cleaned out Bertha's home there in West Palm Beach, they found two keys to safe deposit boxes in two different banks. The first box had over 700 AT&T stock certificates, hundreds of other investment vehicles, along with cash of 200000 The second safe deposit box was filled with $600,000 in cash. Tragically, Bertha Adams was such a hoarder that she died of starvation even though she was a millionaire. Now, most of us will never be tempted to that level. But our Lord wants us to know that we very much can be tempted to hoard far more than we need or will ever need. That's what our Lord's condemning in this passage. 
He is prohibiting us from hoarding what he has given to us. Saving, that's legitimate. Hoarding, when you cross the line, our Lord forbids it. So he means don't hoard what he's given you. Secondly, it's sinful to selfishly spend the wealth God has given us only on our personal comfort and our pleasure. This also is implied in our Lord's words in these verses. We don't store up our treasures in heaven by spending them on ourselves. The only way we store up treasures in heaven is by spending them on others and on kingdom work. In fact, you remember the story of the rich farmer in Luke 12. Jesus condemns that rich farmer because remember what he said, what the rich farmer said? He said, look, look at all the wealth I have in grain. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. And I will say to my soul, this is Luke 12, 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He was completely consumed with his own personal comfort and his own personal pleasure. And he's going to use this this amount that he's hoarded now. That was the first sin. But now he's going to use what he's hoarded to spend solely on himself. And God says to him in verse 20 of Luke 12, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? John MacArthur says it's, it's right to provide for our families, to make reasonable plans for the future, to make wise investments, and to have money to carry on business, to give to the poor, and to support the Lord's work. It's being dishonest, greedy, covetous, stingy, and miserly about possessions. That's what is wrong. To honestly earn, save, and give is wise and good. To hoard and spend only on ourselves not only is unwise, but it's sinful. Now, those are the manifestations of materialism that are found here in this text, but there's one other manifestation that occurs in several other places in Scripture, and I want to add it to this list because I think it's certainly implied in what our Lord says. It is sinful when he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He is saying that it is sinful to sinfully crave the wealth that God has not given us. You see, he's not just talking to those who have it. He's talking to those who don't have it, but desperately want to accumulate it. Let me show you a passage where this is very clear. Turn with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, in the first section, verse 3 of chapter 6, he begins to talk about false teachers who have a different doctrine that doesn't agree with sound words conforming to godliness. And here's part of what goes along with false teachers. Notice verse 5. They are deprived of the truth and they suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Certainly their own gain, and they'll tell you it's a, it's a means of gain for you too. Some things never change, do they? Verse 6, Paul says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain 
when accompanied by contentment. The word contentment is a word which our word sufficient has the same idea. If what you have, you believe to be sufficient. For we've brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, if you have the necessities of life, with these, be content. In other words, don't crave more. Verse 9, for those who want to get rich. Notice, they're not rich. Now he's talking to those who aren't rich but want to be who are investing all of their resources and time in getting rich. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. And sometimes those desires plunge men into eternal destruction, ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money. And who loves money? Verse 9, the ones who want to get rich. The ones who have this craving to be wealthy. If you crave wealth, if that's what you want, whether you have it already and want more, or whether you don't have it and you want it desperately, then you love money. And this warning is for you. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God. He says, Timothy, run from the greed that desires more, that has to have more. If you have your necessities, thank God. If you have more than your necessities, which frankly all of us have, then thank God for that as well. But don't set your heart on it. As the psalm reminds us, if riches increase, don't set your heart on it. Don't love it. Don't long for more. Be content. And if God chooses to bring more, that's his purpose and plan. But don't live in this perpetual desire for more. Jesus says in verse 19 of Matthew 6, Stop storing up for yourselves treasures on earth. Are you selfishly hoarding what God has given you? Do you just keep stacking it up and accumulating it? Did you tell yourself early on that once you had a certain amount, you'd be more generous with people and their needs? You'd be more generous with kingdom work, and you've just continued to hold on to it and accumulate it? Are you selfishly spending all that God has given you only on your personal comfort and pleasure? Well, if I had more, uh, you know, then I'd, I'd support the kingdom work. Are you sinfully craving the wealth God hasn't given you? And in verse 20, are you, instead of those things, storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Use it in our hearts and lives. Confront us. Lord, we live in a material world, and we are all influenced by it. Help us to do some honest soul searching. Lord, help us to be wise. You've told us that We're to work hard, we're to invest, we're to save, we're to support our family. We're even able to use some of what you've provided for our enjoyment. But Father, give us wisdom in each of our hearts to know where that line is. And may we be wise. And may we be obedient. 
with the wealth you have given us. Thank you, Father, for how your word cuts across our lives and confronts our souls. Use your truth. May our attitude toward wealth be that of our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of our series, The Deadly Dangers of Materialism. Next time, Tom will continue the series with part three. We hope you'll join us then. Well, we'd like you to know that Tom has a new book out titled The God Who Hears, a book of pastoral prayers. It features 31 scripture readings and accompanying pastoral prayers. Tom's book is available for purchase right now online at thewordunleashed.org. As always, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.